hope you got a sheet there of our study, what we're going to look at here in just a moment. Um, do want to make a couple of quick announcements here for you. Um, coming up this coming Monday is the Ladies' Glow Meeting, their Bible study. It's at 6 o'clock. Uh, not this Sunday night, but next Sunday night, the following Sunday night, the 23rd, is going to be our soccer night. And that's when we invite all the kids and all that play in our league, their parents, their grandparents, family, friends, to come be a part of our service. And we always look forward to that service. You never know how many people we might have. We might have 250, we might have 789, right, Eric? We might have just tons and tons of people here. So some people you like counting money. No, okay. But uh, uh, we're looking forward to that night. Be praying about that night, okay? Definitely be praying about that. And, and please do me a favor. Don't have the mentality, oh, they're going to have a lot of people. It doesn't matter if I'm there. Come be a part of it. We're excited about it. We're looking forward to it. There is something I would like to do, like we've done the last couple of years, is when the service is over, open the fellowship hall up for like just a light refreshments, like some cookies and like uh, some like lemonade water, those kind of things, because that gives us a good opportunity to fellowship with people just for a few moments there. And uh, you know how the Christian life is a lot of times, it's building relationships with people. And I'd love for you to be here on that night just to be a help, get the fellowship with people and if you can. And... Uh, but anyhow, those things are coming up there. And then the men's fellowship is on uh, Monday the 24th. And then the next teen activity is uh, after the soccer games on the 29th. That's Saturday. And they're having their teen movie night. So a lot of those things going on. And uh, hopefully you jump in and be a part of them. And it will be a blessing. I do want to mention the same thing I mentioned uh, on Sunday evening is that the fellowship home, it's the assisted living home, here off Merriweather on the corner of Merriweather and uh, 441 there, just past Kroger. Um, we are going to be a part of maybe once a month or every other month having a service there. Um, myself and Rachel and, and Will went out there uh, this past uh, Sunday at 3 o'clock. They had a service. It's only for about 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Miss Betty, Betty Lucas is living there now. And uh, they asked us to come back October 7th. And one of the things they asked in particular if we would help do is they said a lot of the residents that live there now have been asking. It's been a long time since they can't, most of them can't go to their uh, home churches anymore if they could do a Lord's Supper, do a communion service. And so if you'd like to come, be a part of that, whether it's with helping to sing or just fellowship or do some things, I'm going to like to ask the young people eventually to jump in and be a part of that. But I think it would be good for us, another opportunity just to serve people, and that's going to be at 3 o'clock on the 7th there on that Sunday. I know it's a lot of stuff going on on a Sunday, but I think it's good for us to jump in every now and then be a help. If you're interested in helping out with that, let me know. Love for you to jump in and be a part of that. Uh, this evening, we're going to continue our series that we started last week on 1 John. I'm sorry, Miss Faye. Right, if you would like to help out in the concession stand, it's not an all-day thing. It's a morning shift or evening shift. Please see Miss Faye about that. And uh, we still have openings where, you know, we got everything set up for you. You just got to serve the people and take money. So no, a lot of times we don't have a problem taking money. Uh, but uh, you can jump in, be a part of that, be a big help. And I thought we had a good first day, by the way, out here. There's a lot of stuff going on, but uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. I and mean, if you can help out, uh, maybe when your child, or child is playing or something like that, be a big help. First uh, John chapter 1 tonight. First John chapter 1. And uh, we're actually going to start in chapter 2 tonight, excuse me. Uh, last week, we started this series. You say, well, I didn't really know we were going to do a series. Well, for the next few Wednesday nights, we're going to try to just take and dissect 
this book of 1 John. Uh, last week, we went through the whole first chapter and <laughs> went through it pretty quickly, and uh, that's on me. But we looked at several things as talking about if we walk in the light and talking about walking in the light of the Lord. And uh, verse number 5, and I'm not going to review each week, but a couple things I'd like for us to see that we looked at last week. We talked about walking in the light. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Then this is the message we have heard of him, and declaring to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we looked at the part of this, God is light. That means God is holiness, God is pure, and that we are to walk in that light. And it, the verse 7 was the verse I really tried to get to, but I kind of rushed through it last week. Verse 7, is, in my opinion, is one of probably the key verses of 1 John. 1 John 1, 7 says this, this is to us as believers, but if we walk in the light, who is the light? It's Christ. As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. You know, the book of 1 John <clears throat> is written to believers. It's written to believers to examine themselves. The book of 1 John is actually written towards the end of John the disciple's life. This is the disciple that says whom Jesus loved. He was one of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. Uh, John is the only disciple that was not martyred. He was the only disciple that did not die for his faith. He was tortured for his faith, but he didn't die. He's the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, the same John that wrote the book of Revelation. And he's writing this in particular to the Christians at the church at Ephesus. And he's writing it to them because they have really strayed away from living a true, genuine Christian life, walking in the light. And in verse number 7, he's telling them this. He says, if we walk in Christ, there's a couple things he wants to see. He says, as he is in the light. It says, when you live your life with the acknowledgement that you're in the presence of God every moment. You know, to me, that's a thought that I don't think about, that every waking moment, every decision I make, every response I give, to my family, with every thought that I have about a situation that no one else sees or hears, I am actually in the presence of God, living in the presence of God. And it says, I walk in the light as he is in the light. Look what it says. We have fellowship one with another. You know what that means? That means this, that when my fellowship with God is where it should be, my relationships with people will be where it ought to be. doesn't mean every relationship is going to be right, but it does mean this. I can have peace in those broken relationships. You know, if you're like me, I have relationships with people, let's just be honest, they're not good relationships. They're relationships that are estranged. They're relationships that are very broken, if you would. And the Bible says, if I'll just live my life in the light of Christ, I can still have fellowship with Christ, but I can have fellowship one with another. I can have peace with my relations, whether they're good or bad. And then it goes on to say, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, forgive us, cleanses us from all sin, that I can be right with God. And that's a wonderful thought. As a believer, you can be right with God at any time. You may say, I feel so far away from God. I heard someone say this one time, and I believe it's true. You can go far away from God, but it only takes one moment of confession to be totally right with God. And uh, last week we went over a lot of that stuff, and if anyone's interested that wasn't here last week, I have my notes from that and all the extra scripture verses there. If you're interested in that, I'll lay those there if that's something you would like to be a help to you. But tonight I want us to look at the beginning of the next chapter, 1 John chapter 2. And in 1 John chapter 1, we looked a lot at walking in the light and fellowship with God. Now tonight I want us to look at the second chapter deals with walk, not walking in light, 
but walking with God. If I had to ask you the way you lived your life this week as a believer, as a child of God, would you say this week you felt like you're walking with God? Do you feel like the way you lived your life, Monday, Tuesday, and today, that you've walked with God, or maybe you feel like I've been walking my own path doing what I want to do? You know, if you're like me, there's a lot of weeks I'm like, I'm not really walking with God. I'm walking with (laughs) the opposite of that. And John writes some things here that I think are very interesting. And by the way, and I know I put introduction there, just if there's anything that hits your mind there you like to write down. But I want to I emphasize something. John, 1 John is built around the repetition of three themes. There's three themes that John is constantly trying to beat into this church at Ephesus. And that is this, light versus darkness. It is love versus hatred. And it is truth versus error. He repeatedly tries to do that. Here's the problem with a lot of preachers like me that like to preach expository is because there's not always a set outline the way 1 John goes. Because you can read a few verses in 1 John chapter 1 that deal with light versus darkness, and the next verse deals with love versus hatred, and then the following verse deals with truth versus error, and then it repeats itself over and over again. But those are the three main themes that constantly John keeps repeating. There's a difference between living in the light and there's a difference between walking in darkness. He said there's a difference between living a life of love and living a life of hatred, which we're going to see more of that later on other Wednesday nights. And he said there's, and this is what you see a lot of, there's a difference between living a life of truth and living a life of error. And I want us to understand that 1 John, even though it's written to Christians, I believe there's a lot of Christians that think they have fellowship with God, but they don't. Let's just be honest. There's a lot of people that go to church on Sundays, that maybe say prayers over their food, and they really think they have this fellowship with God, and they don't. What they have is religious acts. They have religious things that they do. I've heard someone say this one time. Have you ever seen somebody that was just religious about being religious? Like, this is what I do, so I'm going to do that. And there's no fellowship, there's no love of God in the process of it. I just have to do this. That's what I do. And there's a lot of Christians that think they have fellowship with God, and they don't. But also something a little bit more serious that 1 John really tries to say is this. There's a lot of people that are religious and think they're believers, and they're not. I don't know how many times you'll read in this passage, especially in chapter 1, It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and not the truth. The last verse of chapter number 1 says in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so there's a lot of things that demonstrate that, hey, you may think you're a child of God, but you're really not a child of God. And some things I want us to see tonight to maybe be a help to us and maybe be a blessing to you. Number one, on, on your sheet there, if you want to follow along, um, is this? Well, let me read. Let me read the, the six verses we're going to look at tonight. First John chapter two, verse one through six says, "My little children." Now, don't take that offensively. This means new believers. Says these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Verse 3, and hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 
But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him, in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Let's pray real quick and we'll get into it. Lord, I just pray you help us tonight as we look in your word. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to get together tonight. And Lord, I pray you just help me, Lord, in, in my thoughts and what I'm thinking now. Lord, you just go before me. Lord, uh, help me to say things you have me to say. Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray you might just bless it and help us to apply it to our lives where we need to. In Jesus' name, amen. So number one I want us to look at tonight is this. I don't know if you see it on the sheet there, but number one is this nice question. What is propitiation? You know, I was reading down through here, and if you're like me, sometimes you're reading the Bible, you're like, that's really good. What in the world does that mean right there? In verse number two, it says, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So number one is this. What is propitiation? Yeah, sometimes as pastors or as teachers, we'll throw in wonderful words, man, propitiation, justification, sanctification, and all these things, and we don't, and we mess up by just using Bible language but not explaining it. Propitiation means this simply, satisfactory payment, satisfactory payment. So when it says in this passage here, he, who do you think he is talking about? Christ. Because it's talking about it in verse number one. So it says, Christ is the satisfactory payment for our sin. It doesn't just mean payment. Because you can make a payment on something and it not be enough. You can make a payment on something and it not be what forgives the whole debt. It's kind of like if you ever had a credit card bill. What does it normally say? This is how much you owe and here is what the minimum amount due. And Jesus was not, when it come to pay for my sins and your sins, he was not the minimum amount due. He was the propitiation. He was the satisfactory payment for our sins. You say, what does it mean? In Scripture, and we're not going to take time to look at all these verses, but I encourage you to look some up. The Bible talks about Jesus being the propitiation. It means that he was a satisfactory payment, which means this. There was a verse that actually says, it says, and it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now, Lord there meaning God the Father. It pleased God the Father to bruise or it pleased him to allow the crucifixion of him. Who's him? Christ. If you read that passage, you think, why would it please God the Father for his son to be crucified? I mean, what father would get pleasure it would please them for their son to suffer. Well, what it is, it's not looking at Christ's suffering. It's looking at the payment for sin. I believe it's in Galatians, and forgive me if I'm wrong, and it says, taking of Christ, Christ who became sin for us. There's something we need to understand about the Lord Jesus Christ that a lot of times I don't think we really grasp. When Jesus hung on the cross, do you remember when one of the sayings he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some people say, well, God turned his back on his son. What it means is this, and, and understand what I mean. In the moment that Jesus was dying on the cross and he was paying for our sin, Jesus actually became your sin and my sin. He became every lie that I said, every wrong thought that I said, every curse word that come out of anybody's mouth. 
every person that's been raped, every person that's been killed, every person that's done any kind of vile act. In that moment when Jesus was dying, the Bible says he became sin for us who knew no sin. And when we think about that, God did forsake his son. Why? Because sin had to be paid for. And the word propitiation means this. When Jesus died, God the Father says, I am satisfied with this being the payment so lost people can come to me and go to heaven. That's what propitiation is. It's an awesome, awesome word. It's an awesome thought. It's very terrible to think about what Jesus went through, but it says it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And when you think about it realistically, you have to understand that the death of Christ, a lot of times, let's just be honest, we're very shallow in our thinking and teaching of the death of Christ. He died on the cross for our sins, and a lot of times that's about as far as we go. But if you really think about it, it says the clouds uh, covered the sun. It got dark. Why? Because in that moment, Jesus became sin for us, and God the Father said, His death satisfies me. It satisfies my wrath. What does my sin demand? What does your sin demand? It demands God's judgment. Your sin and my sin demands the wrath of God to abide on us. But when Jesus died, he became the propitiation, which means that Jesus says, here, I will be the sacrifice. I will appease the wrath of God so it will not come down on man. You remember Moses, whenever, um, kind of give you an illustration about it. Remember when the children of Israel did all the terrible things? He was getting the Ten Commandments, and they were worshiping Baal. And, and God said to Moses, won't you just turn aside here, Moses? I'm going to destroy them. He says, what? I'm going to pour out my wrath on their sin of rejecting me. And what did Moses do? He said, no, 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 God, don't do that. No, 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 turn from your wrath. And Jesus did it a step more than Moses. Jesus said, no, 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 God, turn away from your wrath by releasing your wrath on me. Part of the crucifixion that we don't understand is this. There was the physical pain of being crucified. But Jesus went through the emotional and spiritual pain of having the wrath of God that I deserve was poured out on Christ. And when I sometimes stop and think, oh, Jesus paid for the sins of the world. Okay, I can go with that. But when I sometimes stop and think that Jesus took the wrath that God had for me, whew, it makes me excited because the idea he is the propitiation for us. He is the satisfactory payment where now God looks at me because of my faith in Christ. God looks at you because of your faith in Christ and says, you know what, because they trusted what my son did, I'm satisfied. I will not punish them and pour my wrath on them. And to me, that's a very exciting thing. And that's what propitiation means. You say, well, what's that got to do with everything with 1 John? I think 1 John, he's trying, John's trying to let these believers that have kind of slipped away from their walk with Christ, he's trying to remind them really what Christ has done for them. You know, if I asked you, what has God done for you in your life? What are we probably going to say? Well, yeah, he saved me. Yeah, he's gave me peace in my life. Yeah, maybe he's helped my marriage. Maybe he's helped my family. You know, maybe he's given me direction in my life. He's helped me out in my relationships. But how often do we truly think, what has God done for me in my life? God, Jesus has taken God's wrath that was meant for me 
on himself. Because you think of all the sins that you've probably ever committed in your life. Because of the propitiation, because of the satisfactory payment, God doesn't look at me as a sinner. kind of goes along with justification, if you've heard of that. Some people say justification means just as if I never sinned. That's good. It's not complete, though. Some people say it was just as if I never was a sinner. That's good, but that's truly not complete. Justification and propitiation go hand in hand. That means this. As a child of God, stay with me on this. When God the Father looks at me because of my salvation in Christ, justification means it's just as if I've always been Jesus Christ. Because when he looks at me, he doesn't see Phil. He doesn't see my sin. He sees the blood of Christ. That's what he sees. And that's awesome. Because I know what kind of a wretched person I really am. And understand, that's truly what propitiation means. You say, why do you spend so much time on it? Because I think I spend so much time on it because a lot of times we don't really understand and appreciate some of the doctrines of Scripture that God's like, this is so awesome. Don't leave it out. Okay, all right, number one. So I was happy about that. We'll jump to the next one, okay? So what is propitiation, okay? It's satisfactory payment. Number two is this. I want us to look at the penalty of sin versus the power of sin. The penalty of sin versus the power of sin. Look in verse number one of chapter two. John says, My little children, these things write unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, understand, he says, my little children. Now, he's speaking to adults here. He's speaking to teenagers here. He's speaking to elderly people here. And he's talking about people that have come to faith in Christ by his ministry and the ministry of others. So we're talking about children of God here, all right? And he's trying to tell them something. There's a difference between the penalty of sin and the power of sin. See, the penalty of sin is been taken care of when the sinner trusts Christ, the penalty of sin. You know what the penalty of sin is? penalty of sin is to, to, is to die and burn in hell forever and ever. That, that's the penalty of sin. That's the result of a sin. If, that's the result of my sins. It's if in a, in a ball game when someone commits a foul and the ref blows a whistle or throws a flag. You know what he's saying? Hey, you've done something that now there's a penalty for your action. The penalty of our sin is death and hell. And the penalty of your sin and my sin was taken care of when we trust Christ, okay? But the power of sin is what every person in this room struggles with in our daily lives. The power of sin. That's a total different matter. Now you say, what's the power of sin? It's you can't help but lie. You can help it, but you lie, and you always lie, or you gossip, and you always gossip. you got anger, and you always release that anger. you got pride, and you live in that pride. Uh, it's whatever it is that you struggle with in your life. That's the power of sin. Some people believe once you get saved, you're free from the penalty and power of sin. You are free from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin is something that you and I are going to fight to the day we die. You're going to fight it to the day you die. And every person in this room has that sin that does so what? Easily beset us, whatever it is. Now, you say, thanks a lot, Phil. That means for the rest of my life, I'm going to have the power of sin over me. No, that is not what it means. But 1 John, especially if we go on a little bit later as we will in the next couple of weeks, 1 John tells them how they can have victory 
over the power of sin. Not only how they can have victory over the power of sin in their life, but also how to get forgiveness when we do sin. I talked to somebody one time, and, and there's nobody in here, but if you have this mentality, we disagree on this, okay? I talked to one person one time and says, well, whenever I trusted Christ, I ceased to be a sinner. I said, well, we probably got to define the word sinner. If you mean sinner is lost, absolutely. You're no longer lost. If you mean that you're a sinner like you don't sin anymore, you're sinning right now is what I wanted to say. They're like, no, no, no. Once I'm a believer, I don't sin anymore. And I said, have you ever lied since you've been saved? Yeah. What do we call someone that lies? A liar. Okay. So have you sinned since you've been saved? No. I'm a saint. Okay. Uh, have you ever lied since you've been saved? Yes. Have you ever thought of bad thoughts since you've been saved? Absolutely. You ever got angry in the wrong way since you've been saved? Absolutely. I said, well, you're a liar, a bad thought thinker, and uh, an unrighteous angry man, whatever you want to look at it with that. But I want us to understand this. We do sin. And even as a believer, understand this. And this is something that a lot of people struggle with in understanding about salvation and sin after salvation. The moment you put your faith and trust in Christ, Christ forgave you from all your sins of the past, sins of the present, and sins of the future. He saved you from the penalty of all that. But as a believer, when I have unconfessed sin in my life, until I confess it, I'm still under the power of it. That's why you see believers that still struggle with lying and struggle with gossip and struggle with addictions and struggle with pride. They're, they're saved. They are saved and forgiven from the penalty of sin, but they're not have victory over the power of sin. Now, you're, some people say, well, I've had someone ask me one time, Phil, sometimes I hear you when you pray, say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and where I fail you. Well, you know why? You know what sin does in my life before I come to faith in Christ? It separates me from having a relationship with God. You know what sin does now that I'm a believer? You know what your sin does now that you're a believer? What it does, it doesn't... It does not keep you from having a relationship with God, but it does keep you from having fellowship with God. It, it's it's kind of like this. Um, Eric, can I borrow you? And he had to pray about that for a second, but I appreciate it. All right. Eric's my friend, I think, for a little bit. Eric, come over here in the corner if you don't mind. Okay? Eric, you're going to be the Lord for me, okay? All right? So me and Eric have a relationship. We're close together. We're friends, okay? We're good. And you know what? I can see him. He can see me. We can touch, you know, right here. He probably ain't loving that. But anyway, he can touch. You know, everything's good. So when I sin, and my sin in my past, when I trust Christ, I don't have the penalty of sin anymore because I have a relationship with him. But here's what happens now with me or with you in your relationship with God. Okay, Eric, go ahead. I'm going to do what Amber's always wanted to do. Okay, all right, go out here for a second. Now, as a believer... As a believer, when I sin and don't confess my sin, you've been wanting to do that for a while. I know that. You know what? Not today. Not today. You know what? We're still about the same distance apart, but there's something between us from having a relationship where we can't see each other, we can't reach out and touch one another, we don't have each other's presence. 
Thanks, you can come back in there. So she said not today. She didn't feel that way today at all. Okay. Right, yeah. Yeah. Come on, Revelation chapter 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open up. There you go. Yeah, I'm sorry. Eric's thinking, no, I don't know about this Wednesday night thing. No, but. And I appreciate you doing that. Because here's the thing. You need to understand that you're a believer, you have faith in Christ, and you're going to sin. You're going to sin. But you don't have to live under the power of sin. But you need to understand something when you're tempted to sin as a believer. You don't need to think it's a get-out-of-jail-free card. I'm a believer. I'm going to heaven. I can live any way that I want to live. I can do whatever I want to do. Sure, go ahead with that mentality, and all you're doing is allowing a wall to come between you and God. You have a relationship, but you don't have a fellowship. It's kind of like in any friendship, marriage, relationship with a child and that. You can be in the same room. You ever been in the same room with somebody and that you're totally in love and you're totally in fellowship and totally everything's good? And have you ever been in the room with that same person and you t wouldn't talk to them? They better not look at you in a certain way. You just hope they say something, you're going to go off. What has changed? Your geography has not changed at all. But your fellowship has changed. And what this passage is saying is this, is that we need to understand that when we sin as believers, we don't lose our salvation. We don't lose our relationship with Christ. But we do lose our fellowship with Christ. It is hindered. But he says that we can have it back. Um, I know I have a lot to learn about the Bible. And I probably misquote things. But you know what? 1 John chapter 1 verse number 9 is not a salvation verse. First, First John chapter one nine is not about salvation. First John chapter one nine is about believers that sin and are out of fellowship with God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That verse right there is not meant as you whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's not a salvation verse. This one right here, First John one nine, isn't. 1 John 1, 9 saying, okay, you sin, you're a believer, you have hurt your fellowship with God, the power of sin is in your life, and he says, if you'll just confess it, if you'll just confess your sin, and that word confess means this, it means to say the same thing, that means this, to confess my sins means to say the same thing about my sin that God says about it. You ever have a child look at, you know, and your child don't, and you tell them, say you're sorry. No. Say you're sorry for hitting your sister. I'm sorry. They ain't sorry. They just saying it because they need to say it to make you happy and go on. But the word confess means to say the same thing that God says about that. That means this. When I say something to my children, out of anger and out of spite and out of embarrassment and justification and feeling better and out of pride, 
That means when I pray, I don't need to say, God, forgive me of my sin. That also doesn't mean this. God, forgive me for having a bad attitude with my kids. No, no, no. That's me saying, God, forgive me for lashing out at my children in my own pride and my own self-righteousness. Whew, that's a little bit different, isn't it? Okay? Oh, God, forgive me for... God, forgive me for that sin there. No, no. God, forgive me for lying. No, no. God, forgive me for deceiving that person because I was prideful and I wanted them to think something else. That's a little deeper. But you know what he says? If we'll confess, if we'll say the same thing about my sin as he says about my sin, says he's faithful and just to forgive us. Um, God, forgive me for talking about that person. No, God, forgive me of the abomination of sowing discord among the brethren because I know you hate that. That's a little different flavor. Nobody likes to confess sin like that. Nobody does. Why? Because we're prideful. Because I'm prideful. It's like if you've ever done something wrong and you had to make it right with that person, a lot of times, what is our natural tendency? What's the minimum I have to say to make everything right? Instead of saying, let me tell you exactly how wrong I was. And let me apologize for how I did you wrong completely. That's totally different. But the thing is, we all want the freedom from the power of sin, but we don't want to confess our sin the way God wants us to confess it. And that's what he's telling these people here. He's saying all of you have, you have victory from the penalty of sin. He says, but you don't, have the, you don't have victory or the power of sin in your life. You know why? Because you won't confess it the way God says confess it. That's why it was the Puritans say, tally up every night, every day. Keep short accounts with God. You know what that means? When God convicts you about something you've done wrong, it's better to take care of it right then. You know why? Because if you're like me, I forget it. There are times at night when I go to bed and I'm praying and I'm saying, God, forgive me of the sins that I've forgotten that I've done today. Forgive me of the sins I didn't deal with today that I should have dealt with. You say, do I really have to do that? Do you really want fellowship? If I really want the fellowship with God, if I want, the fe if I want to have the relationship with God that I look at other people and envy, then I've got to have the confessing time to God that you know what they probably have and being totally honest and right with God in that. And that sin in our life breaks the fellowship with God. But it doesn't destroy our salvation. Because I have this down. A true Christian is always accepted even if he's not acceptable. That means this. I am always accepted in Christ even if I'm living in a way that's not acceptable if I come confessing it to him, making it right. Once again, I like to use kids for example. Kid comes up and says, done something wrong. Mama, I'm sorry. Sorry for what? I'm sorry that I did the thing that didn't make you happy. What did you do that did not make Mama happy? Well, I did something to my brother that I shouldn't have done. What did you do that did not make Mama happy that, did not, you know, that you did against your brother? You know why we do that? Because we're trying to get them to fully admit and see where they're wrong. Here's the awesome thing about God that I don't do as a parent. God doesn't do that to guilt me. God does that to instruct me so I won't do it again. 
He does it because he loves me enough to say, I don't want to see you do it again. He's not saying that you're going to do all this and you're going to get right. No, he's saying, I love you enough that I want you to truly see your sin the way I, God the Father, sees your sin. And to me, that's awesome. It's hard, <laughs> but it's awesome when you think about that. And how does God provide for the sins of the saints? How does he provide for that? I mean, he's already saved me from my sins. I was saved. I was saved at the age of eight. You got saved at whatever time. Okay, how does he provide for the sins of the saints? He does them through the ministry of Christ. Look at the end of, excuse me, verse number one in chapter two. It says here, it says, and if any man sin or any believer sin, look what it says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, I almost ran past this, but to me there was something that kept jumping off the page at me about this. So if I sin as a believer, what do I do? And I confess my sin, okay? What do I do? I have to understand that there's a ministry through Christ. You know what that ministry is? It says Jesus is what? He's the advocate. The word advocate means this, one who pleads the case. An advocate is somebody that pleads the case for somebody else. He says, hey, I'm going to plead the case for him. By the way, I thought this was kind of cool. The word advocate right here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, is the exact same Greek word used in John chapter 14, verse number 16, where Jesus used the word comforter. And he says, and if I go, I will send you a comforter, another comforter. Who is that? It's the Holy Spirit. So if you really think about this, there's a ministry that Christ does. Christ is in heaven right now. And when I sin and I confess my sin, God doesn't look at me and see my sin. Jesus literally stands before and says, wait a minute, he's my child. Every time you sin, every time you cuss, every time you do anything that's wrong and you confess that sin and Satan accuses, well, look, look at, what, look at what he's doing. Look at what she's doing. Jesus says, wait a minute, that's my child. He's trusting me. He's pleading the case for you. And that's awesome if you really think about it. He is our advocate. He's the one that pleads the case. It, like I said, it's the same word as the word comforter. And the comforter is the Holy Spirit. Understand this. The Holy Spirit represents Christ to us on earth. We have, I, don't know, I know people say, well, I've asked Jesus to come into my heart. Can I help you with something? I understand what you mean by that. But God the Father is on his throne in heaven, and Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is in the world. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you really have the Holy Spirit that comes and lives inside of you. So the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you as a believer represents, represents Christ to us, if that makes sense. That Holy Spirit represents Christ to us on earth. But Jesus Christ, the Son, represents us to God the Father in heaven. That's what that verse is saying. That verse is saying that for us, the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us is the representation that we get of Christ here on earth. And because when we confess our sins, that Jesus is standing as our representative to God the Father. And if you really, really understand that, it almost makes you go crazy. I'm just so happy to really think about that. To literally think right now in heaven, Jesus... Every time I sin and confess my sin, he stands before God the Father and says, uh-uh, redeemed. He's redeemed. You say, well, I don't really believe that, you know, 
Satan's accusing me in heaven. Again, you're going to have a tough time with Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1, what did Satan do? He went to God the Father and accused Job. He started saying stuff about Job. He accused a righteous man about it's really not genuine. And when we see that, it's a really neat thing to understand that. And then lastly, number three, and I appreciate your attention there. So number one, we see what is propitiation? What is number two? Penalty of sin versus power of sin. And then lastly, number three, we see the test of whether we truly know Christ. Have you ever sometimes wondered? I mean, I have. You ever doubted your salvation? I have. I struggle with that a lot. Now, I know this is very touchy right here, and it's sometimes hard to really to understand. But you want to understand what John's given these people. You want to know the test to see if you're genuinely a Christian. It says in, in verse number 3 through 6, this. he says, And hereby we do know that we know him. If, how can I know I'm a believer? If we keep his commandments. They say, well, Brother Phil, that sounds like work salvation. Now I've got to live, I've got to work my way to heaven. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that if you truly are a believer, you'll desire to live like a believer. Now, we've all probably known of people in our lives that went to church and, hey, made a profession of faith, only to a little while later go back out in the world and just keep on going. You say, Phil, you can't judge their salvation. I can't. It's between them and God. But he does say, by their fruits ye shall know them. And if I really am a believer, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to desire to please God and keep his commandments. So when I constantly live a life of not caring about what God wants and not keeping his commandments, John's saying, you might well make your calling an election sure. I've had to do funerals for family members. Family members that said that, oh, yeah, Uncle so-and-so made a profession of faith when they were a kid. And never in their life did you see any fruit at all. I mean, a lot of times, a 180-degree turn the other direction. I hope they had their faith and trust in Christ. But John says here, if you really want to know for sure you're saved, you'll have the desire to live a life for God. Um, James is a great book. It's a great chapter about this. James chapter number 2. And like I said, I'm not telling you it's a work salvation. We know it's not work salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 deals with that. But can I tell you something right here just looking at this? James chapter 2. James is arguing with these people because some of the people in the book of James were saying, oh, I've got to work my way to heaven. And some of them over here says, I don't have to do anything to go to heaven because I've been saved. I don't, have to, I don't have to live a life like that. I don't have to read my Bible. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to do those things. And they said, oh, you've got to do all these things to go to heaven. And James says this in James 2.17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. In verse 18, Yea, a man may say, you, Thou hast faith, and I have works. He says, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. He says, You want to sit here and say, I have faith in Christ, but I have no works that I live a life of a Christian. 
and James says, you want to know how I'm going to show you I'm a Christian? Not by what I say, but how I live. You want to a lot of times wonder if someone's a Christian or not. It's not by what they say. It's what they do, right? You watch how they live their life. And once again, don't, don't misunderstand me. You cannot lose your salvation. Just like you can't earn your salvation. It's all in Christ. But I want us to understand in this passage here, he's saying, if you want to know your believer, keep his commandments. Do those things. Have a desire to live a life that's pleasing to God. Now, every sin I've ever committed has been taken care of at the cross. Now, this doesn't give me a license to sin because James 5, verse, excuse me, Galatians 5, verses 13 through 17 talk about how I don't have a license to sin as a believer. But I think we truly need to understand this. If you really are a child of God, you will desire to live a life of walking with God. And if you don't, question it. I know this hits close to home, and I wondered about my own children. If you see in your children's life no desire to walk with God, and they ever question and wonder about their salvation, don't you dare take a Bible and open the flyleaf and say, no, not right here. At such and such date, you got baptized. Such and such date, you got saved. Let them trust Christ, not something written in, in the flyleaf of their Bible. Because I've seen a mama do that. I've seen a mama with a wayward teenager that says, you know, I'm not really sure I'm saved. Run and say, no, no, no. It says right here, you got saved right here at this date. Well, I'm not trusting in some ink that's written on a page. I'm trusting in Christ. And to understand this is that my children have all professed that they put their faith and trust in Christ for salvation. My, all four of my children have gotten that pool up there, and I've had the wonderful privilege of baptizing them. But you want to know what I pray for? I pray for them to, if they truly are saved, that they'll have a desire to walk with God, and they'll do it. And if they don't walk with God, that you know what? God will help them know for sure if they're a child of God or not. You know why that's not popular preaching and teaching? Because we really want to thank all of our loved ones that don't give a rip about God. We want to think they're going to heaven because of something they prayed and said one time. That's why that's hard. Because we don't want to be somebody that says, oh, it's work salvation. It's not. But he says here, I know that I have a relationship with him. Why? Because I keep his commandments. Because I have a desire to walk with God. Next week we'll get in a little bit more. We get in kind of the more famous verses there. It says be in the world but not be of the world. But I appreciate you coming tonight. And again, if you want the notes from uh, last week, they're right down there. Right down here if you want that. And then also in the back on the table in the lobby there, uh, Miss Wendy's been very kind and been working on our uh, new directory. Uh, if you would, go by there. If your information about you, your family is right, just check that it's right. If uh, it's not right, if you make the corrections there, if you're not in there and you want to be in there, <laughs> write your information down, and that will be good. If you don't want to be in there, then scribble it out, all right? But anyways, we'll stand together and we'll close in prayer. Again, thank you so much for coming and being here tonight.